I want to be like Charles Boyer. Who do you want to be like? Gee, I don't know. I just want to be like Pop. But what do you want to be? You want to be a nurse? Nope. You want to be a moving picture star? Nope. I win. She doesn't want to be anything. I do, too. I want to be a mother. Arise, Lady Guinevere, for thou art the noblest. Me, I want to do it. Cut it out, will you? She won. Now, hang it good. Hey, sis, why do you want to be a mother? So I can have a hundred of children and they all can give me presents for Christmas. it been since you had yourself a big hot screaming ear full of forgotten horrors <laughs> well that's too long pull in close now for a crepuscular half hour or so of the forgotten horrors podcast with your hosts john woolley michael h price and my own self wolf brand jack Thank you very much, Michael H. Price and Wolf Brand Jack. I'm John Woolley, indeed, and we're going to do another uh, Forgotten Horrors podcast for you right now. And we're going to be talking about a film that... uh, it's just, it's got a really sort of a checkered uh, past and a sort of a checkered uh, backstory. Uh, essentially, it was done by uh, Arch Obler, the uh, great radio producer, the guy who uh, did Lights Out, and of course, later on was very well known in the early 50s for the resurgence of, uh, of, of uh, 3D movies he did with Buona sure. Deva. And uh, later on, he did others, of course. But this is a film called Strange Holiday from 1945. It's based on a radio play that Obler did in the late 1930s for Every Man's Theater, which was was, uh, 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 sponsored by Oxidol, (laughs) (laughs) the the laundry detergent. And Raymond Massey starred in this thing called This Precious Freedom. Well, According to Obler, what I've been able to find out in research, Michael, that Obler, they didn't really want to do a radio play on this because it was kind of about fascism and about the war in Europe, and they really didn't want to rock the boat in 1939. Well, but they did it anyway and and, and managed to get it on their air. Well, by 1945, of course, everything had changed. Right. And uh, we have a film that was essentially now 
I understand. Maybe you can help me out on this, Michael. I understand that uh, that this film was a uh, was a and started life as an industrial film for yeah, General was, Motors. There, there was a, a General Motors executive who caught the radio broadcast <laughs> in 1940 and was so impressed that he, uh, his name was Paul Garrett. He arranged for General Motors to finance a movie version that was uh, originally to be called Terror on Main Street. Oh, wow. Uh, the company, like a great many manufacturers, spent a lot of money making films for employees, motivational mm -hmm. pictures, uh, showing training, uh, training exercises. In other words, they were way ahead of the curve for these orientation videos that you see uh, practically everywhere nowadays. Right. Uh, it, it cost a lot to make a movie, and it cost especially a lot to make a movie that was not to be seen by paying customers. Uh, they found that the investment would pay off if the film were deployed promptly and widely among the employees, because uh, if, if the employees got the message of the training or motivational film, uh, chances are they'd do a better job and, and make more money. Mm -hmm. That is for and, the company, of course. Uh, for the company, of course, and also be better Americans in this particular case. Exactly, correct? and yeah. and the and the thinking of General Motors was uh, we don't want to risk uh, the business destroying aspects of fascism or the the rising tide of Nazism. Yes. And uh, it looked like a great idea. Actually, it was a great idea. It just didn't, it didn't know it was ahead of its time. Very much. Mm -hmm. People I wonder, agree. people often wonder where Rod Serling got his chops. Um, a look at Strange Holiday, or as it was also known, This Precious Freedom, gives you a direct definition of, the, of, of how Serling was motivated to do The Twilight Zone. Yes, yes, absolutely. The film, the Obler film looks a great deal like a, a, a prototype for a Twilight Zone episode. It does, along with the fact that it betrays its radio origins. And I uh -huh, should say, yeah. yeah, I should say that that every man's theater uh, where the where the prototype for uh, Strange Holiday appeared, you can you can hear that on uh, on YouTube. There's a there's a broadcast on YouTube with Raymond Massey. It's very powerful. And a lot of the um, a lot of the the, the 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 very same things are transplanted into uh, Strange Holiday because it's a very it's a very vocal verbal film in a lot of ways. A lot of flashbacks, a lot of internal monologue. And I should say right now, because Joey is looking at me at this point and saying, you know, you really need to say what the plot is. Well, essentially, because that's what our <laughs> producer does. And essentially what it is, is uh, Claude Rains plays a character named John Stevenson, who is uh, who flies, who's on a vacation from a, his company, which I wrote it down because it's a very interesting name. Um, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, right offhand, I can't, but it's like, uh, it's a very generic kind of, kind of name for his company. And they're mm -hmm. on vacation in the North woods with a friend of his. 
and uh, they're in a plane and they decide to get back for his wedding anniversary. And uh, all the, the, they, they are forced to uh, land uh, outside of a town uh, before they get back home. And they go into the town and find that it's been taken over by fascists. Actually, they find it out when they see Martin Kosleck, which uh, once you see Martin Kosleck, you pretty much figure out, you know, fascism is, is happening. And, uh, and so this is all about, because Claude Rains doesn't, or his character rather, John Stevenson, doesn't think that, you know, the war has much to do with his life and all of this and, and freedom. And, and, it's, and it's that message. It's the idea that we're all invested in this war. Of course, in 1945, by that time, the war was winding down. But so General Motors, as I understand it, Michael, correct me if I'm wrong, they showed it to their employees and, and all of this. And then PRC came along, the great little scrappy Poverty Row Studio came along, yeah. and because Claude Rains had a little bit of stroke, uh, saw some potential in releasing it theatrically and took it over and, uh, and sent it out to the theaters. Elite Pictures did it originally, and PRC picked it up. Is that pretty yeah. much the way that pretty you see it? M MGM, the big-time studio, was interested, but they, uh, they, they acquired the film and then let it slide. Oh, they did. Oh, I didn't know it was the MGM. MGM acquired it, but did not do anything with it. Uh, they were asleep at the switch. I mean, this was obviously a picture that had something important to say, and yes. it even had box office names. You know, I mean, Claude Rains, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Gloria Holden, uh, Milton Kibbe, favorites yes. with the mass audience. Yes. Uh, Kozlek was the, he, he was, he was not A-list Hollywood, but he was the most dependable bad guy, uh, short of Charles Middleton in that period. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. And and you, and you see Kozlik a lot uh, doing well, like secondary bad guy to uh, uh, Basil Rathbone in, in the Mad Doctor, for example, from that same period. Sure, you see him in the Frozen Ghost with Lon Chaney Jr. Yes, and yeah. when you mm -hmm. see and when when you see Kozlik in a leading role, then it's going to be a very small picture. Yes, true. Uh, Good it, point. It's, it's you know like uh, like House of Horrors with Rondo Hatton. With Rondo Hatton, sure, absolutely, exactly. Yeah. And uh -huh. and uh, but but the presence of these names. Uh, MGM may have been leery of the of the prominent uh, philosophical black character, but which is I, which yes, which which Claude Rains' uh, uh, character uh, finds in prison in jail with him, right? Right, yeah, and and of course they're thrown in jail for, for basically being too smart in an anti-intellectual society. Mm -hmm. We don't want to really draw any parallels to modern day. Uh, no. I think they call themselves, <laughs> but but yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. uh, the the, uh, uh, the motivation of Claude Rains' character, uh, he he's vacationing, not from civilization, but from this incessant talk of war. Yes, that's correct. He's, he's yes. dodging his duty as as a as a democratic American. And then he gets caught up in this uh, jolly vacation uh, with with uh, with a friend. 
uh, played by Guy Kibbe, incidentally. Yes, yes, it and, is a very familiar face at that point. Yeah, and 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 they they think uh, they talk about yeah maybe we better be getting back to civilization, and uh, and Reigns, of course, he balks at that, but until he remembers another selfish motivation, he's got to get back for his wedding anniversary. That's right. That's right. So it, that's it's, right. It's like this is a guy who takes things too much for granted, and uh, of course, it has that. That hard, uh, not to say over obvious, but that very uh, deeply entrenched moral object lesson, uh, as so many of Ubler's. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and you you consider that that Ubler was not only a great producer, director, writer, but also a really severe Yiddish intellect. That's true. I never thought about that and, to, to and link that had, up with and, this. And that's he right. had compound reason. He had compound reason as such to speak out against the rise of Nazism, because even though the Holocaust had not become popular knowledge, you had a lot of intuitive sensing of that situation mm -hmm. in America. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, uh, that was during the same period where uh, where Joe Simon and Jack Kirby uh, pre-war pictured Captain America punching Adolf Hitler in the snoot. Exactly. One of the earliest ones. Of those. One of the, and, yeah. and of course, mm -hmm. the same period in which the Three Stooges parodied Hitler. More than once. More than once. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I could go on and on because they're, and, and these are not, these are not examples that, that are readily brought to mind because well, that, that, that's just a funny book. That's just a comedy. That's, well, no, <laughs> comic books and, and slapstick comedy uh, have a great deal of moral responsibility about them, if applied and so, right. Yes, and so did this industrial film that became a theatrical feature. Exactly. Uh, I should mention that 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 uh, Claude Rains character. I was I was I was struggling to find. He works for the National Manufacturing Company. National, yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, if you can find a more generic name than that, uh, <laughs> you know, I just don't think that'll happen. But you know, it's all about it's this it's 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 great because it's all about this authoritarianism, discipline, uh, fascism, all of this versus. People who just not really versus, but 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 played out against people who well the war is not really about me and it's like you know it's it's not um, it's not something that I need to really be worried about and something I need to be you know be contributing toward for our side and I think that's the message that maybe General Motors was trying to give to its employees that we're all in this and we better get it done and and thwart. Nazism and thwart yeah. all authoritarianism and all of that. Well, at, at a time back when General Motors genuinely empowered the national economy. Yes. And incidentally made cars that would last. That's right. That's, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've got a couple of people in this that are pretty interesting. Gloria Holden. And I don't think if, if people see this and it's very hard to equate this performance of Gloria Holden as essentially this really sort of everyday housewife, apologies to Jimmy Webb, with uh with uh Dracula's daughter. Oh yeah. 
she's not Dracula's daughter at all in this. She's 180 degrees removed. Very, uh, very versatile player she was. She was. And I don't think maybe people know, I mean, monster kids like us, I don't know if they really know that versatility that she had. Uh, that uh, there tends to be a bit of tunnel vision among the right among the mid-century horror movie fans. True. Uh, all, all due respect. I've always I've always found that that one enjoys a certain favorite horror movie actor or actress all the more if one knows the broader range of capabilities. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I never never really knew to appreciate Boris Karloff as widely for just his genre pictures as I did uh, fairly early, fortunately, upon discovering him in uh, pictures like Taproots, Night, mm -hmm. what have you, where he plays uh, heroic, benevolent, uh, even played some great gangsters. And, right. and the same way with Gloria Holden, because you, you look at this, this Obler picture and you think, wow, that's Dracula's daughter. Huh? Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, so, of course, yeah, with me, it was with me, it was John Carradine, of course. And once I saw Preacher Casey in Grapes uh -huh. of Wrath, uh, you know, I mean, he's one of the first people I really remember from watching shock theater in the 50, late 50s, early right. 60s. Uh -huh. And then you see that he's done. And of course, when I finally got to talk to him and interview him and spend a little time with him, he says, you must understand, young man, I was in some of Hollywood's greatest pictures. Uh -huh. And of course, you know, my thing was, I guess you, then you don't want to talk about vampire hookers right now. Ooh. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, but he was, he was, he was in some great pictures and he, he brought some, and even to these, roles in the universal he was all over the universal mummy films and dracula with house of dracula house of frankenstein oh, yeah. and all of that and then there's gloria holden who looks so weird and exotic in dracula's daughter and mm -hmm. looks like a pretty good decent housewife in strange uh in, in strange holiday oh yeah yeah and and then you know there's helen mack who has her little bit in this as the <laughs> secretary who was uh, who was the female lead in Son of Kong, with uh, with our boy from Oklahoma, Ben Johnson? Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. So there's you know I you can watch this on, for some reason on on YouTube. It's in six sections. I don't know why or seven sections mm. maybe, but you can watch it on YouTube and it's really I think it's really worth watching. And you know I don't want to make again we've we've gone to this before, but. Uh, but I don't like too much out of it, but there are, this is a conflict that is not restricted to world war two. Uh -huh. I mean, if we, yeah. 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 That well-defined point is placed there automatically. That's right. That's because exactly right. It's it, the war was over by the time the picture got even halfway well seen, but, that's true. That's right. Because it's forty-five. It, it's not. It, it's not confined to one crisis. No, it's not at all. That's right. right. Price. What is the price of freedom? Yeah. Okay. Stay awake, y'all. Right. Right. Exactly. And what they say is, at the very end, you remember, the freedom mm -hmm. is never a gift but a victory, yeah. which each of us must guard with heart and mind. Mm -hmm. I'm hip, man. That's, well, that's yeah, and, we and, and and you know what? You know what qualifies Strange Holiday as a 
true PRC picture? No. A.W. Hackle. Of course. The great B. Western producer. Of course. Yes. I, I saw his name and I never even thought about that. You're absolutely oh, yeah. right. Absolutely right. And, and you know, it's, 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 a, it's a wonder. It's a wonder. Of course, it was Obler's project and he had the uh, auteur chair. Sure. But, uh, you know, I mean, it, it could just as easily just as easily have been directed and with comparable results by Sam Newfeld who yes. was one of PRC's most dependable <laughs> workhorses. Uh, Newfeld worked under a variety of pseudonyms in addition to his own name, uh, simply because he, he and his brother, uh, the producer, were uh, uh, somewhat embarrassed by the fact that Sam would take any assignment anywhere, anytime. And get it done. And get it done, yeah. 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 He, he, yeah. And he, what was it? What was his, what a uh, Peter or somebody he, he, he directed some I'd things. Have to look those pseudonyms yeah, I'd have to too. I, I, I seldom, I seldom referred to them, but, uh, but you can, you can, it, once you know the names he also worked under, uh, you get to realizing God, this guy, this guy made, made more movies than many acknowledged great directors. Oh, and Peter Stewart was one Peter of his suits. Peter Stewart was big yeah. Good, yeah. Good, yeah. good, good reminder. Well, I'm just, you know, sometimes in my septuagenarian brain, it kicks in. It just takes a little bit longer. So, <laughs> But we would like to uh, recommend Strange Holiday. Once again, you can see it for free on, um, on YouTube. And you can also hear the uh, radio play that inspired it. Uh, on on YouTube as well, the radio play being uh, being uh, Every Man's Theater, uh, the pre this precious freedom, the name mm -hmm. of it. So now, Joey Hambrick, our producer engineer, has asked us to kind of expand this a little bit. So we're now going to beg your indulgence for a couple of things because we're going to kind of expand our um, our pitches. Uh, you have a brand new book out, and. I have been told by a few people that they would like to hear a little bit from uh, my the, the the cleansing series of novels, the trilogy yeah. that I did with yeah. uh, Robert Brown, which you were so nice to blurb too, Michael. I appreciate oh, yeah. that very much. And so I'd like to read like the first two pages of it, and then let's we'll talk about your new book if that'll work. So don't go anywhere. Oh, um, right here, and we'll do it. This is from a book called Seventh Sense, which is the first of the three uh, in, the, uh, in the cleansing trilogy from Babylon Books. Robert Brown and I wrote it. Robert Brown's an old friend of mine. We're both pulp fans and comic book fans from, from many, many years gone by. And we decided just to go ahead and take our own names in this book. So you will hear Robert writing May 6th, 1939, Saturday night, dear John, I am here at last and you and Lovecraft would love this bird, dark, green, wet, and full of shadows. I kind of figured this would be Dust Bowl country, but I guess that's farther west because I saw lots of streams and rivers and ponds as we came through the Ozark Mountains, which are actually, quote, dissected plateaus, unquote, elevated places eroded over the centuries until they look like mountains something I wouldn't have known if I hadn't picked up a book on the Ozarks to read on the train. I figured I needed to know something besides what we saw in that Corn Pone Republic hillbilly picture down in Arkansas last year. Remember? 
Although the first part of the trip from St. Paul clear through most of Missouri went smooth as silk, the last few hours of the trip were pretty rough. When I changed trains at Springfield, I got on a mixed local, you know, one of that had both boxcars and an old Pullman coach, and it stopped at every little jerkwater town between here and there, dropping off freight, picking up cars, and pulling into sidings so that every other train on the line passes. I shouldn't complain, I guess. It was cheap, so I saved a little out of the travel money Uncle Sam handed me, and the seat was comfortable enough. There weren't many passengers, at least not at first, so I could sit by a window and put my bag and typewriter case on the floor beside me. I bought the new Dime Detective at the Springfield Depot to give me a little break from reading about the Ozarks. There's a Rambler Murphy story, uh, Rambler Murphy yarn in a dime, incidentally. Did I ever tell you he reminds me a little bit of you? I'll tell the world I was pretty tired of the trip by the time we began the long downhill run into Macaville. The tracks curved southeast down a long grade, giving me the opportunity to see the whole town nestled down in a valley, and I'll be damned if it didn't look like a typical New England-style village, laid out around a downtown square looking neat but out of place here in the south. Maybe Macaville's founder was from back east. That might explain it. have to check up on that. Ahead of the train, I could see what appeared to be a little Hooverville shack town, just on the outskirts like they generally are. Peculiar little shacks, I thought, straining my eyes in the thickening twilight. I saw movement there in the shadows, but as we drew closer, I found that what I thought were humans were cats, and they were moving through a graveyard, not a Hooverville. The hovels, I thought, were actually crypts, and what I took for pieces of junk were crowded, odd-sized tombstones. As we rattled by, I watched three of the biggest cats stop, sit down, and peer silently at the train. They reminded me of the three wise monkeys, and I had a weird fleeting thought about what evil they saw and heard but did not speak of out there in that cemetery. Just as that notion flew through my brain, one of the cats, a big old calico, hoisted herself up and took a couple of steps toward the train, craning her neck a little like she was trying to see better, and I swear, John, I could feel her look right straight at me. That's the beginning of the book, Seventh Sense. And if you're interested, you can uh, look at it on uh, on Amazon and other outlets, Barnes & Noble. It's all over the internet. Also, if you want to go to johnwoolley.com, www.johnwoolley, J-O-H-N-W-O-O-L-E-Y.com. Uh, I have uh, for sale at my, uh, at my website as well. Now, enough about me. Uh, let's talk about your new book, Lone Star Larceny, Michael. It just now came out. How did it come about? Well, it uh, started with a request from a, an independent publisher to develop such a book. And uh, I got to thinking about, well, what kind of crimes should there be in such a book? Turned out that the publisher had in mind something along the lines of uh, uh, obvious the obvious the cullen davis case the uh, the, the jfk uh, problem the jfk situation mm -hmm. uh mm -hmm. the the cheerleader mom from near houston sure sure and it's like that seems awfully self-evident how about we start a survey of texas crime with the uh spanish con uh, conquistadors uh who brought genocide and uh, disease to the yeah. new world so-called 
in the you know in the 16th century and the publishers will love us that's history that's not crime (laughs) said okay uh so we ended up um just tackling the thing uh according to my template and uh, dave Furman, co-author uh, chipped in with a, a, a very perceptive, concise, uh, history-spanning script. Right. Turned out that I uh, keep a pretty good inventory of previously published stuff, and a lot of my comic book stories. I, I hesitate. I, I hasten to add that this is a graphic novel, uh, and I've got a lot of uh, previously published stories that haven't seen the light of day in quite a few years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The uh, the most sensational uh, depression era case from Amarillo, Texas, the uh, uh, the murder by alligator serial case from uh, the San Antonio area in the 30s. I'm a uh, fan of the shark topicus. Oh, the, <laughs> <laughs> which actually was based on a true story, although yeah. not quite as spectacular or as exaggerated as I had portrayed it. Right. Uh, with Mark Walker, the illustrator, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, the the, the original the, that 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 carnival thing involving a an imaginary uh, what we used to call a pickled punk in the carny trade. Mm-hmm. That's what David uh, Friedman uh, always called them, pickled exactly. punks. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. That that actually happened to a lesser degree to a cousin of mine who ran with the carnivals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you've got true crime, <laughs> exaggerated true crime. Uh, historical true crime, and and a whole bunch of uh, well, the uh, uh, the book closes with a with an uh, kind of a not a novel length, but a, a comic book novella uh, taken from a uh, movie from the fifties called The Texas Rangers, which is right. kind of like a kind of like a super group uh, teaming of uh, you know it's the western western movie version of of House of Frankenstein, you got Sam Bass, Sundance, <laughs> Cassidy, <laughs> and then Dirty Dave Rudabaugh all together. <laughs> right, right. So it's like, yeah, there, there's your there's your super group of train robbers and desperados. And the uh, thing turned out to be a, a great deal of fun to produce. And uh, we're getting some good early responses on it. I, you, of course, devoted some tremendous space to to Lone Star Larceny and your uh, blog. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was glad to do it too, because, you know, I'm a fan of yours. I'm, I'm, ah. You know, I really am. And uh, I found myself laughing out loud at several times. I don't know if that's what you're supposed to do in Lone Star and Larceny, but uh, but I did on, on some of this. And there's a lot of existentialism going on there. Oh, a yeah. lot of data, a lot of data you've got going with the, uh, there's the dot, it's data meets 1940s crime comics that I love about. One of the things I love about the thing, what you do, right? The, uh, the, the whole, the whole concept of doing um, these restaurant, many of the stories are restored from historic crime yes. comic books. Yes. Right. Of the forties and fifties. Mm-hmm. And my uh, the rule that I make for myself is that in restoring the art, often from deteriorated original printings, uh, I make it a point to either preserve the good writing or eliminate the trite and fatuous original writing. Mm-hmm. And if I do the, the dialogue replacement, I'm going to make it as, <laughs> as bizarre and dialect ridden as possible. Well, I think you've I think you've achieved that. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> Lone Star Larceny. Yeah. The, the, beauty, the, the beauty of the a book like that is that, you know, 300 odd pages gives you the opportunity to stretch out. I found three separate Bonnie and Clyde stories. Yes. All, yes. all playing fast and loose with history. Yep. And yet all achieving a certain degree of what I sense to be truth. Uh, I was reminded of my uh, uh, revered historical historian figure in my experience uh, who uh, would run across contradictions in researching the history of the South. And he finally came to the conclusion, this Theodore Rosengarten came to the conclusion that, as he said it, all the versions are true if you know all the versions. Mm -hmm. Very, very profound. Absolutely. Well, it's a great book. And uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying reading it. And uh, I would like to recommend folks, they go to uh, Amazon, I guess, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, Amazon, where, where's it, where's it offered? General distribution, primary outlet is Amazon right now. And of course, right. uh, we are arranging uh, additional uh, press and, and what have you. Mm -hmm. but, uh, the, the main objective is to to get her done and then let the word out so that people know where to find it. Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to try and do here. And uh, I would recommend it wholeheartedly. And I would also say that uh, I was in Chicago a while back, uh, maybe a week ago uh, before a week before we did this, this uh, podcast. And I ran into Stephen Hafner. I didn't run uh -huh. into him. We got to visiting and Stephen Hafner, of course, as Hafner press that did uh, the, the, so many great uh, pulp and other author collections. He's doing a collection on Manly Wade Wellman, Wade Wellman, and he suggested the next film that we talk about would be the 1973 picture, Legend of Hillbilly John, which is, of course, Who Fears the Devil? On oh, Manly yeah. Wade Wellman. Yeah. So if you don't mind, Michael, let's do that next time. Oh, I think we're all ready for it. I, uh, I, uh, I really don't play favorites, nor do we as a team play favorites. We just pick out pictures that uh, seem to have been, what's the term, forgotten. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and so we'll, we'll take a look at Legend of Hillbilly John next time. Meanwhile, we want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you so much for listening oh, to us. Always glad to have everybody on board. We are indeed and we will be back before we know it. Thank you, Michael. Thank no you, Joey Hambrick. Howdy.